and welcome back to another episode of the Discussion Phase, a board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love. As always, I'm your host, Matthew. And I'm Brady. And this week, we're so excited to be joined by the often mentioned but seldom seen the godfather of gaming itself, Steven. Steven, let the people know you're here. Hello, people. So we got a great episode for you tonight. We're all talking about our recent plays, uh, things we've been into this week, as well as Dudes on a Map. We'll be having a player versus player with Twilight Imperium facing off against Game of Thrones, the board game. So stick around, and as always, buckle up. All right. So what do we, I think we're on the 13th episode, and... We're just having Steven uh, uh, on. 13, that's unlucky, right? It's usually the Friday the, the 13th. episode, yeah. Well, it is traditional, you know, to save the best for last, so it's good that you yeah. have you, we even best had, guest We even on had last. the wives on, yeah, so Steven. We got all the other guys and the ladies on before we finally got the <laughs> illustrious Steven to join us. Yeah, so you've been a little busy, I guess, with uh, work or whatever, but we've just kind of recently had you back in. Um and as per the use, we, we started off with a nice game of Scythe where you crushed us all again. Um, so it's good to have you back. <laughs> Always good to crush you guys in Scythe. Yeah, the Scythe is a game that I, Steven and I love. The other guys love too, but they're always unwilling to play it because either, usually Steven, but if not Steven, then usually myself will end up winning Scythe because I think but we've, you've played it online, the digital version, right? Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. Mostly to uh, play around with the different openings, but uh, it's fun. And then we're smiling at each other because Brady's like, you guys are cheating. But really, Scythe comes down to like, if you can get your first like seven or eight opening move set with your faction and your player board, you can really set yourself up for the rest of the game. And I think that's the difference between is we've put in the we put in the hours and the work into grinding out some <laughs> optimal play strategies that these guys uh, haven't wanted to try out yet. Um, but Stephen, we've for the, for the listeners that have been um, following us here, we've mentioned you a lot in our gaming groups, uh, and we talked about you a lot as being part of the group. But uh, uh, before we get any further into the episode, I want kind of people to get to know you a little bit, your background, how you got into gaming, uh, some of your interests, some of your favorite games, the things that really kind of like were stepping stones into heavier games, bigger games from whenever you got started, or maybe you just started off playing heavy games. But it's just so kind of the listeners have a little idea where you're coming from and your preferences for everything. Sure thing. So I grew up playing games pretty much my whole life. Um, I played a lot of family games um, and all the way have, through school. You have uh, siblings, right, too, that you play yes, games Yes, I've with? got an older brother and a younger sister. And so we would, um, a lot of Friday nights, we would have our Forced Freeman family fun. Forced fun. Yep, it was forced fun, but it, it was still fun. And we would play board games as a family. Um so lots of things like uh, Life and Payday and Pit. Payday? I don't know if I've heard of that one before. It's, we, uh, it's an old roll and move game. So uh, not like fantastic, but it was still fun growing up. Um, we played a lot of Pit growing up. There's like yeah. pictures of my time. grandfather's house of of all the families like sliding around cards and stuff, trying to get all of those uh, resources. It's we been a really long time since I last played Pit, but I would be up for playing that again one night with you guys i think it would be hilarious i know and we've talked about like going back to the basics and playing um like a six-player um Catan as well yeah um, david has been almost, begging us yeah. for vanilla Catan, and it almost happened last night but it got beat out by concordia but, but anyways. Uh, aside from playing you know the those kind of games with my family i also had an or have an uncle who is a board game collector so 
in his collection, he has a bunch of really old, um, even like Grail kind of games, like Fireball Island, Hero Quest, you know, all oh. the... The originals that are yeah, really hard classics. to get a hold of. Because they did, have you seen where they did the reprint new edition of Fireball Island? Yep, but he's got he's got the old ones. <laughs> um, but I'm every sure at the time they were just like mind blowing. What does the original look like? Is it still that? Like, I know what the new one looks island? like. It's just over the top. It, I mean, it looks similar to the new one, just old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But every kind of uh, family gathering around you know the holidays or family reunions, he would bring. Uh, a couple big boxes of board games, um, both old and new ones that are coming out. So I grew up playing a whole bunch of, you know, kind of modern hobby games all, all throughout my life. Um, where would you say is kind of the, the turning point where you kind of like, you were the one getting the games or introducing the games to other people right. instead of your uncle? And what were some of those games that really, okay, I'm going to get into this a lot more? So the very first... Um, what I would consider like hobby board game that I bought for myself was actually Mage Knight by Vlada Tvatil. Tvatil. That's um, close enough. And you still got this enough, copy, yeah. right? Yes, I still have this copy, which if you know the game, you know that is about as far like deep in <laughs> heavy as you can go. Some people consider um, that the greatest solo board game. It is a, It's. I think it is still a very good game. I've played it some solo, but I also really enjoy playing it uh, multiplayer. I haven't actually introduced it to you guys. He's refused to because he's, <laughs> he's literally said, I don't know if I want to teach multiple it's, new players at one time. Yeah, it's a really hard thing to teach. Is and it compared to, how, how is it compared to like Gloomhaven? Has it aged um, like and kept up with Gloomhaven or is it? Uh, it's a completely it's, different beast, it's, isn't it? Yeah, I would say it's a whole different beasts than Gloomhaven. You do get some of the same feelings um, in a single game of Mage Knight that you might get over a campaign of Gloomhaven. Because part of the appeal, I think, of Gloomhaven is uh, leveling up your characters, buying new items. In a game of Mage Knight, you level up so many times and get all sorts of new powers and cards. It is... Uh, a bit of a rush going from your starting guy who is still pretty strong into basically a demigod at the end. So it's, it's so a lot it of just fun. compresses like hundreds and hundreds of games of Gloomhaven into a. Yep. How how long would it take to play a game? It's of also Mage a pretty Knight? long game, so I would guess around sixty Six. to ninety minutes per player. And how would it play up to four? It goes up to four, which will be a, a very long game if you do it like that, unless every player is pretty familiar with the rules. Okay, I, I would be totally down to give it a shot. I've looked time. at his copy, but every time I look at his copy and I look at it, he's like, he's like uh, let's play something we know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> sometime right, so soon. My question, Stephen, is when you were a kid, did you want to be, like, were you one of those kids that wanted to be an astronaut when you grew up because you have an affinity for space games? And we'll find out a little bit more about this later. High fantasy space games. <laughs> yeah, so what is your attraction to space games? I, I just really enjoy science fiction as a whole genre. So I, I love science fiction books. Isaac Asimov is one of my favorite authors. I love um, sci-fi movies and film. And I also really enjoy uh, the sci-fi theme in board games as well. Um, there's just something about it that it just draws me in. <laughs> See, this is, and I want to kind of get and talk about this more, but I, I love sci-fi when it comes to shows and movies, but I feel like this one 
genre of or theming a board game that I just haven't gotten into as much. And I don't know why or maybe where the disconnect is. Um, but some of these, some of the games that Steven brings, and they're they're great games. But I, I look at the box and I look at the names of these characters, like uh oh, oh no, uh, like Sidiru Confluence. I really enjoyed our playthrough of Sidiru Confluence. I've only gotten to play it once, but that's a space game with trading and stuff. But my characters. I don't even know how you would pronounce it because my joke was like it literally looked like someone just hit their keyboard as hard as they could with their head a couple times and yeah. then they just made this name for their character. All of the, the races in Sidereal Confluence have a pronunciation guide underneath them and even with that, some of them are still pretty hard to say. Like one of them, I think it's the Kajisja Vikalim. I'm probably saying that wrong. But that's no one could correct can you. Yeah. No Who one, knows? No one can correct you on that. Matthew, would you do you have like a favorite genre of games, as far as like oh. the the as theming? I was just thinking about this because Stephen yeah. like definitely loves space games, but I don't know. I don't know if I have a. a th- I, I feel like I'm drawn maybe to mechanics more than theme. Now, I, I don't get me wrong, I love theme, but like I love everything from these kind of like trading in the Mediterranean, Marco Polo, Renzo type games to stuff like in Scythe or Terraforming Mars, Underwater Cities, Root. I mean, I feel like we have a wide gambit of themes in, in in our game collections that we get played and cycled through. But I don't feel like, wow, I have a lot of these type games. Yeah, I, mean, I was just thinking about that, and I don't think I do either. Um, okay, so... But Steven, I could definitely say, is our is our space game guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Always need more space games. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so going into, uh, like, just catching up for the week, what all we've got... So I... I had the pleasure of getting to introduce Steven to Concordia. For one of your faves. Time. Yeah, one of my favorites. Um, I had never, or I didn't know that Steven hadn't played it before. Um, Matthew hates the game. No, so. no, 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 no. I, I don't hate it. I think it's a, so, <laughs> I think it's a solid game. But kind of have Jacob. I don't know if he's mentioned on here, but it's a game that's solid. I appreciate. It. I don't have any. I literally don't really have any complaints on it, especially since they've got the new boards that really kind of make it a little better um i just, it's just not, I don't get excited about hey you know what we should play tonight concordia concordia i get excited about it, it it's it's a it's but it plays a quick though little, yeah it does i mean we played a five player game and it was under an hour like just at an hour and that include teaching steven i don't know if you included mm-hmm. the, the teaching uh that. well I, should i say that we played a five player game we played like a four player game or a four Damn, and I was a on quarter phone, game but we'll call it a four player game yeah, yeah. but four it still plays I, I i think my favorite part of it is um getting other people to do stuff for you to and you can benefit from it. I always enjoyed that in games where you can position yourself around the maps, uh, especially Concordia, and then other people trigger harvest, and you get to reap the benefit from I that. Know. There was a couple of times where David was acting as you, as you had to go take a phone call, and he he would say, oh, yeah, Matthew would produce in this one region, and it would help out all of us. And I was like, yeah, ne- Matt would never do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> too well. Uh, it was it's so funny, and this may be a little bit off topic. So uh, in our we have a group meet chat with all the guys, and uh, I think it was David was asking Brady today. Brady, have we been playing QE wrong? Because there's some people on a, a Discord channel that he's on for board games, and they were mentioning some different things about how you're playing QE, revealing numbers and everything. And if you're not familiar with QE, it's a bidding game where you're blind bidding and only the person who, who won the bid and who had the auction know the value of something. And, and the key, the kicker here is that you can bid anything you want. Yeah. So there's no money or there's no like physical money in the game. Yeah. It's all you can bid. You can bid anything you want. However, if you bid the most money 
at the end of the game, collectively, you lose. Yeah. And so I am the one who's always, it's a party game, it's a light game, but I am trying to like over math it out to the ninth degree. Uh, and so I'm always like, guys, if we just bid low and let whoever else just like bid a billion dollars, we don't have to worry about them for the rest of the game. This is how Matthew starts every and so, game. And so David found a guy who had, was like, he, he messaged on the Discord channel. was like, I've been trying to get my gaming group to do this <laughs> for like 12 games of QE straight, and no one ever wants to go and do it with me. I because you're going like, to lose eventually. And I was like, I saw, I saw David share that with him. I was like, this guy is my spirit animal or something. He's and got- David, I just want you to know, I take personal offense to the idea that we played that game wrong. It is a great game. Oh, we don't play it wrong. We never yeah. get rules wrong, ever. No. Well, not for games that simple. All right, but we also got in a game of Scythe. It was like four players. No, we, we had a five-player five five player. game of Scythe. Oh, okay. And that's another game that I remember uh, when we were first kind of getting into it. We, I think we sat down for even a six-player game at one game night, and this and we asked the guy to join. He's like, no, I mean, y'all will be here for hours. Six players? I can't join into that. And we were literally done in like 60, 90 minutes. I love it so much because you announce your action, and the next person can go now if the people aren't familiar with what you're doing they can get lost a little bit but i mean a five-player game we played in a solid 60 minutes yeah and well and i will say i think that is because steven is just unbelievably good at the game and scythe is a game that i i really want to like more but when I play with you two, I just know, for whatever reason, with that game in particular, I just know I stand very little chance of winning. And yeah. I did score probably better than I ever have. Um, I think I even maybe tied Matthew in that last game. No, you, no, you scored less. Yeah, I think part I of the problem with you guys uh, that you guys have with Scythe now at this point is due to the Rise of Fenris campaign we played. Yeah, the, they won't finish with this. They, they literally yet. quit halfway through the Rise of Fenris because they said... No, well, we they only didn't had like it. two more. Two more. We, two, we may have two or three, but they literally were got... We haven't won any games. We don't want to keep playing. But yeah. The <laughs> thing with uh, the Rise of Fenris, are there just some... getting more powerful. Well, there's some weird scenarios, too, where it kind of changes the in-game objectives, and so... You're almost playing a new game at that point, and so if you're trying to play with like the mindset of, like, this is what I normally do in Scythe, you're not going to win because it's mm-hmm. it's a whole new objective. So there was a, a stretch of two or three games kind of in a row that ended in like a fourth of a time that a normal yeah. Scythe game would uh, play to. Because anyone who's trying to play like Scythe competitively, you know that it's the, the, the how you measure your success and how well you're doing is by the amount of turns you can trigger in-game. Um, would you agree with that, Stephen? Like I can end in the game on... Well, well Stephen is usually turns, the one turns. triggering the end of the game. There was one notorious game where you're playing as the black faction. I don't even know. Saxony. Um, Saxony, because I'm yeah. a scrub. Um, but you, we, I think that was a five-player game, too. And that one ended in, like, 45 minutes because you got I, all of your stars or I something. I think I need I to stop think, playing the yeah, Nordic that was no, definitely the, Nord. the, uh, the shortest game I played of Scythe yeah. 2. The reason it happened was also we were playing with the alternate encounter cards and so uh the encounter i drew um first let me kind of hop my leader across a river that i normally wouldn't be able to for several more turns and And it's hard getting out of your position with that i was able to rush to the factory way earlier than normal and so that game ended in what (laughs) like 13 14 turns yeah Uh, i I do agree with brady was playing um um palania and they're all about the encounter cards 
And I, and you know, the, the expansion encounter cards, they do make things fun and wacky. There's even a card in there where if you want to, you can blow up the factory and have its remnants in the middle of the board. Yeah, there was one. Um, but it does add a lot of weird stuff like that that I don't think make the game better. Yeah, there was one, I remember, where you could, you could use any amount of coins that you had and you could bet essentially all of them and double up on your points. Um, oh, but yeah. you, I think it was a coin flip. It was a coin flip. I think there may have been a limit on how much you bid, but it's you literally, I think you did that in one game and you yeah, lost yeah. it. Yeah. I, so I, mean, I, bet, I was like, like I'm going to lose anyways. I think the actual thing the was a single coin. So the coin denominations, I believe, oh, they yeah, go yeah, to yeah, 20. Yeah, that's what it was. So you could bid up to 20 on a 50 50 yeah. chance to just get 20 points. Well, yeah. well, and or lose. It, and it did not if you get some point. of the promo expansion materials, there's actually the uh, think it's Tagawa has a 50 coin piece. <laughs> so I don't know if that counter card specifically allows for those to be included, but I, so the ballsy like, move. yeah, cotton, but, uh, I think stuff outside the box like that is really cool and fun, but it also allows to just way wonky stuff to where it's so, not as competitive going back to steven's story especially when it comes to scythe and to uh, root to some extent because um i think steven has like the all-time record when it comes to root as well but i remember as we were getting to know steven and as i had has gotten to know matthew it was one of those things where i kind of um if you compare it to like the marvel universe i feel like like in avengers one where the the bad guy is like Loki. That was Matthew. I was thinking, oh, like Matthew, he is the guy to be. He's the board game guy. But then you realize that over Loki is Thanos, and that is Steven. And I started realizing, sorry, Matt, that, oh, wow, there's there's some bigger fish out there. I can I can settle for Thanos. Thanos. <laughs> Thanos was defeated. Loki is still alive. So. I did watch Endgame again the other night, just like on a whim. It was, I will say. Have you watched uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier yet? On Disney Plus, uh, I did watch the first episode. Yeah, I really, okay. really enjoyed it. Really, the, uh, the the kind of the breaking down the social kind of ideology of what these superheroes actually are and going about. But outside of like these Tony Starks who just have billions of dollars just from their corporations, the the rest of these people are just like trying to survive like everyone else. Um, they don't have trust funds. They don't have people that are just throwing them money. They're just trying to keep their family business afloat while trying to make great sacrifices at their own personal loss um, to save the world, save their family, save their country. Um, it's one of the issues I had with the Queen's Gambit. I'm just joking. We're not going to get back <laughs> into that. Uh, but no, I did enjoy that. But um, yeah, I remember when we were first in the first couple episodes, we were talking about uh, the game groups. And I was kind of describing, um, you know, the different guys in the group. And I mentioned how you came in uh, to one of the game nights we were having there, one of the local community game nights. And uh, I was like, played a couple games. And he was like, okay. I'm, he's like, I was like, um, Steven is the Moriarty to my uh, Sherlock Holmes. He's my adversary. <laughs> where we're going back and forth, mono and mono. Yeah. And so you guys have heard us talk about Root before, but what ends up happening in Rue is Matthew Brain, ends don't up. Bring this back yeah, up. I know, it's, it's painful for me. Don't to rip talk open the it. scabs. The leave the bandaid on. Matthew ends up just let it heal. Um, like not being as diplomatic as he should be, and so he ends up. Uh, we uh, he and I usually end up just at each other's throats throughout the game, and uh, and just full sending it into each other to see each other lose, and then who usually ends up winning, in that case, is Steven. So he he probably wins like um i don't know four out of five games or so when no <laughs> do you think your win rate is that high in route not quite four out of five no but, uh, i do win a lot 
a lot, and a lot of times I am targeted and Steven like, listen, trust me, we need to go after Steven. And Steven's like, what? That's that's crazy. Steven's crazy. So I'm only at two points. It's a game about woodland politics. I know. That's why I tell people the game is always up here in the mind. I point to my head. The game is never on the board. It's, it's, it's above the here. shoulders. <laughs> Alrighty, so since uh, we're getting into, you know, the Woodland Alliance and troops on a map, why don't we move right on over into our main topic? Yeah, uh, so we're so glad to have Stephen on because Stephen kind of rounds out uh, the boys in the group who uh, are all about dudes on a map games. Brady likes to call it troops on a map. I don't know where he gets this from. It's absolutely dudes on a map. Um, but these are games where you, everyone has their pieces, they're manipulating their units, their soldiers, um, whatever they may be from mechs or uh, warriors or Vikings or uh, Japanese gods or space aliens or medieval soldiers, whatever it is. You're manipulating on the board for vying for influence, for control, for domination. Um, to set yourself up, these games usually involve some kind of diplomacy, either um, that the players are doing themselves or the game kind of forces in there. Um, and so two of the games, dudes on a map games, and you've heard us talk about a lot that these guys absolutely love. Brady is infatuated with the Game of Thrones, the board game. And then Steven is the ambassador, supreme first ruler of Twilight Imperium, fourth edition. Indeed. Yeah. And, so, and these, these games really came out of um, risk. So how much, how or maybe even... Uh, access analysis, but I think that came out. The very first risk. dudes on a map game that you kind of call that was Risk that I ever played. How much did you guys play a lot of Risk growing up? Tons. I mean, Steven. I remember even getting it as an app on my like iPod, iPod Touch way back in the day. Wow, I didn't iPod play uh, the original Risk that much, but I did get Risk Godstorm. Okay, I think yeah. around uh, sometime in middle school. Yeah, and we played that a lot, and I enjoyed that quite a lot because it had these cool unique powers. powers yeah i had the 2210 ad or whatever that one was but honestly and we played that one a, a handful of times but um like risk was like a huge comfort game to me we would just bust that thing out um uh, shout out to all of my friends in college uh, you guys know but in college i lived in a house with 11 dudes um and it was like a and one shower two showers <laughs> two showers um, it was not the easiest thing in the world, but um, we we had this like uh, ritual where during finals week, like smack dab when like everyone needed more time to study, we would always just say, screw it. And we would play Risk, like right in the middle of that. And it started getting so popular where we would start playing double Risk. So we had to have 12 players involved and we had um, two Risk boards attached to each other and like like one Australia was connected to like the other Australia. And so you could go back on the two earths. Um, so we, that sounds like it would take literal days to play. (laughs) Yeah, it did. It took a long time, but, uh, but it was always fun. So like these games are just near and dear to my heart. And I think, I think because so much of the game really is played like in your head and like words that you say to your opponent really matter with like, as far as not, pissing them off so much that they're just like, all right, you're done. Yeah. And I think that's why I do that so much. It just goes back to my, my (laughs) risk days where it's like, you have insulted my family. You've insulted everything. I need to bring honor back to my family. And it should be (laughs) noted too that, uh, um, dudes on a map can include, it also includes like miniature games, uh, Warhammer, all these stuff. We don't really, at least we haven't yet. Brady's been trying to get us into it. I haven't done all these like, uh, miniatures gaming, 
a lot of our dunes on a map are still board game. I'd say can still consider board games versus just open war gaming, which is yeah. also a whole nother category of dudes on a map type games. Um, so yeah. So what I would like for us to do, we're going to be doing kind of a player versus player. Cause this has been a hot debate topic, not only here on the podcast, but also here in real life. Uh, whenever either Steven or Brady have an itching to get their epic, uh, uh, competitive dudes on a map game played, Brady will say, let's play um, Game of Thrones. And Steven's like, sure, but we could just play TI4 instead and have a better time. And then Brady's like, but TI4 will take it forever and this and that. Let's just play a quicker game of Game of Thrones. And they go go back and forth and debating the ins and outs and the quality of the combat and the player interaction and the scoring mechanics. And then Steven's like, ah, the the mechanics and it's just so wonky and it just doesn't make any sense. And and then Brady will throw in his jab. So we're going to have a final at the end of this episode, we will have a final verdict and determination made by yours truly wow. uh, on which of these is the better game. And um, Pretty it's going to be high stakes. Yeah, it's it's absolutely the fate of the world and the universe as we know it is online. And um, I don't my word will be absolute and resolved. Yeah, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. I feel like there's some bias here. There's no bias. Yeah. But anyway, so this is a pretty big deal because like even for us and we play board games a lot and uh, these two games in particular are still like it, like event level status for us. Like it's ordering like, food. Although yeah, I will we, say that the last time we played TI4, there was no food involved. And Ooh, your boy was a little, one, a, strike one a little right hangry. Uh, so, Stephen, <laughs> we need to make sure we're coordinating that a little bit better next it, time. We had some snacks, but uh, not a lot. I didn't eat in eight hours, uh, <laughs> six to eight hours, and I would, I was starving and. <laughs> I was hungry. You're hungry. I was hangry. You got yeah. That's part of the strategy. Is you got to yeah. bring the food. You literally bring your opponents. See, that's and we're gonna, we're gonna get into this. Okay, we're gonna let's hold it. Let's hold off on this. Yeah. yeah. So, so, anyways, st- so these are these are games that are still a pretty big uh, deal even for us. And we're, I will say we're pretty good because we um, like even for TI four, which usually can take anywhere from like. In 12 uh, hours. 10, 12 hours. People. Like, we usually can knock it out six, in, like, yeah, five to six, eight or say? less. About, about six hours. Six hours. Six hours. Yeah. And, like, Game of Thrones, I think, is, like, four, four? to six. And we no. Usually, we, oh, knock, yeah. well, we usually knock it out in around three. Yeah. Um, and so even, but they, yeah, they are still big of deals. It's still kind of like we, and Steven and I still have to, like, kind of drag you guys to the table when it comes to these we have to sometimes. We have to pull, schedule it. I mean, we have to, like, consciously, hey, be yeah. mindful. We want. And they to do both this require weekend. another one. Another thing is that they both require six players essentially to make like a full to get the game. full experience yeah. and feel. It's probably most balanced. The map distribution. All yeah. right, let's 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 get into the format here. All right. So what I want us to do is start off is first um, for those who maybe not as familiar with these games, even though we've mentioned them before, is I want to start with Steven and just kind of is like how would you introduce this game. Uh, to someone who wasn't familiar about it. What type of game is it? What are the players doing? What are you trying to achieve for your win condition? What is the world set in? Like, like imagine I had never heard of TI4. What would you tell me about this game? So TI4, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, is a game where um, players are controlling these wild alien races, um, establishing their galactic empire. And so there is a galaxy map. Every race starts on the edges and you build up, you conquer planets and um, spread across the galaxy. And so as you can imagine, there is a uh, contest for territory 
and um, you are negotiating with the other players, trying to score victory points. And these victory points are sort of an abstraction of how um, prestigious your race is. And so the first one to get 10 of those points is crowned the Galactic Emperor. Very good. Very good. All right, Brady, same thing to you. If you were to explain this game to me for the first time, trying, remember, trying to get me to play it, um, well, what would you tell me about Game of Thrones? Well, I think something, one thing that's important to know is Game of Thrones is sort of like a a little bit more of a streamlined and, and Game of Thrones themed version of another game called Diplomacy. Have you guys ever played Diplomacy? I, I have haven't. not played Diplomacy, but I, know I would be plays. up to playing it uh, sometime. Yeah, so it is really good. I will say... I know this is a slight tangent, but um, we I did have a chance to play one game of Diplomacy and talk about a an event. That game took us probably 16 hours to play, and we did not finish. We just resolved to have, like, multiple players win the game. Um, and so what uh, really how I found Game of Thrones is because I was kind of looking for something um, a little easier than Diplomacy. And so... Um, it, it Game of Thrones, a lot of times, is, and it really is a perfect theme to go along with that, because um, if you know anything about Game of Thrones, it's very, like, that, that world and that universe is just filled with um, really shady characters and factions all, like, warring against each other, trying to uh, claim the throne, and that's really what the game is. Um, you play as these different factions, um, and you are where... Uh, T, uh, TI4 is is about getting victory points. Um, uh, Game of Thrones is more about like land grabbing and area control. So you do still get victory points, so to say, but they are tied to like regions on the map rather than um, rather than like you know like different missions and objectives you kind of capture along the way. Um, but uh, Game of Thrones, and so it's 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 almost exactly like diplomacy, except that there are there is this sort of um, like side uh, tracks that come into play where that affect the maps so, or the affect the game. So there's like one that allows that affects turn order, um, one that allows you to break ties, one that gives you sort of advantage in combat, and there's one that lets you change your orders on the map, which is a big deal because everyone puts them down at the same time and reveals them the, at the same time. So if you have the advantage of being able to look at what other people put down and then change them, um, those tracks can kind of have a pretty big influence on the game. Um, but it, it is, again, like what's on... What's happening on the table is very much like half of the game. Like the other half of the game is played above the table where players are like, hey, you know, and it really calls back to risk where it's like, I will not invade your territory over here if you help, you know, back me up over here. And so that I think, um, and I think that is lacking a little bit in Twilight Imperium. There, it's still there to some degree, but I just feel like um, because like the, the, a lot of the victory points aren't necessarily tied to the board. It doesn't quite matter as much. All right, so. very good. So I have a list of different topics and comparison points here. Um, and so for these next couple segments, just I want you to kind of, I'm going to present a topic of how we could compare these two games, give your interpretation of why you think your game does it better, 
uh, and then after you each present, and then I'm going to let you just destroy your opponent's uh, arguments and their points there. Yes. Okay. Uh, so right. the first is with, and when anytime you look on Board Game Geek for a gaming, these are the first kind of things you look at is complexity. Um, now, it's from the outside looking in, TI4 can look like a much more complex game. Uh, and so that may be a barrier that some people may look at. So, Stephen, what is your um, defense of the complexity factor that some people may use to argue against TI4? Well, the base rules for TI4 are, I would actually say, not overly complex. Um, on your turn, you can do uh, three different types of actions. One is the strategic action, which is just using your special... Um, asymmetric power that you chose for the round. Uh, the second is a component action, which it would be like using a card that says, as an action, do this. And then the third is the tactical action, which is the meat and bones of the game, where you take a tactics token and you place it on the board and you um, move troops and build in that zone of space or fight if people... Um, enemy ships are there. And so I could explain that to somebody in, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. Most of the um, kind of extra rules are going to be unique things on cards themselves. Um, and so anyone playing can, you know, just read the rules on the cards and there you go. I will say, I don't think I've ever asked for the rule book playing TI4 to reference something. Occasionally you do need to, uh, very board game yeah. geek to look up these weird kind of edge cases, but that is normally between like two Unique special factions. rules that are like, how does this interaction yeah, work? Because everyone, especially with the new expansion, the Prophecy of Kings, is that yes, uh, you know, factions have even more unique asymmetric abilities of them. So if you got some weird pairings, like a pr priority on this. And one thing I would like to add into this is uh, Fantasy Flight actually has a living rules reference that they uh, constantly update as more like um, questions are asked to clarify these rules so that later on, um, if you have a question like, how does this work? And the first place you should go is go look at the living rules reference. It is um, organized pretty well. And chances are you will find the answer to your question there. And very good. So it sounds like it's fun for the whole family. For the whole family. All right. Wow. So, Brady, you're going to have a tough job uh, arguing. And to be note, I am going to be keeping score on each one of these top categories. Wow. And we're going to be comparing the winner afterwards by you are the one representative for your games here. All right. So, Brady, how would you um, defend the complexity argument against um, Game of Thrones? I think Stephen, and he may do this in a second, may argue that Game of Thrones is too simple. Too simple. Oh, wow. Okay. So explain no, you if you were the, I think the difficulty. That a lot of the beauty comes out of, uh, actually, you know what? Those weren't Steven's words, so I'm not going to hold that against them. Okay. So I will say, and you mentioned Fantasy Flight, and I, I just realized this actually. They, but they produce they, both games. They produce both games. So it's we're, true. you know, we're kind of on the same team here. So. But your brother's from another um, mother. Um, okay. So with, uh, and honestly, when it comes to like rules, I will say they're both less complex than I feel like you would uh, initially think. But as far as um, Game of Thrones, it's really just broken down into uh, three different phases of the game where, and and one of them is the action phase essentially. And so that is 
like like with the tactics actions over there um, for TI4. That's like the meat and potatoes of the game. That's where kind of you know the troops move around and battles happen and all that kind of stuff. So it's um, uh, the first phase is the Westeros phase, where basically you just flip over um, like event cards that tell you um, certain things are going to happen in the game, including uh, the the um, attack from the north. Um, and you kind of have to defend those, but the, and some other things can happen. But so it's uh, the Westeros phase, the planning phase, and that's where everyone like sets out their orders on the board. And then the action phase is when um, all of those orders resolve. And then you basically, at the end of the action phase, you check for the for any victory condition. Um, or actually. No, never mind. Sorry. As soon as somebody gets seven castles, you're I done. think this so. may be a point, just that right there. For no, 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 no. It's so confusing that Brady doesn't even know the rules himself. No, no, no. I will say as, a, as an objective moderator to these two games, I don't claim either one of them is my favorite as much as these two, guy, these two guys do, but I will note that we have had to reference the rules um, a whole lot more for Game of Thrones and even print out the specific player aids and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but continue, Brady. No, 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 no. There was no. We, we have not had to print out players. Don't argue the with game, the judge. I have, don't have. argue with the one who has the power. The game comes with wonderful player aids that like, and it comes with two of them, so you can have one on each side of the table. How many? How many people play this game? Six. And how many player aids does it come with? Two. All right, I'm gonna make note of that. Uh huh. Yeah, like I said, my <laughs> opinions over here. Anyways, um, so it's really simple. It's like Westeros phase. You flip over event cards planning phase you plan out your moves and then the action phase you you do those moves so like the the flow and tempo of the game is very simple um and then there are like with twilight imperium there are a couple of like weird edge cases that mostly have to do with those gosh dang ports they are so confusing i don't know why they're in the game Complexity. I, you know, I'm going to be transparent here and say the ports. You're are making your opponent's argument stupid. for him. <laughs> it's good that we're All both right. on the same so side. Let's, right let's open this up for a chance for rebuttal. Uh, um, so, what would you? How would you uh, kind of? Hey, listen, I'm just saying, go at it. All right. Well, first off, um, complexity. We're staking on complexity. Complexity. Here. Uh, I. The thing with Game of Thrones is we kind of mentioned it, but there are a whole bunch of. Um, rules that you need to kind of look up the different ways it can play out. So for instance, uh, doing a battle. Um, battle will be another topic, so save a little bit of it for there so right. you can get your points. But as part of a battle, the different kind of outcomes, um, troops don't die. You might have to retreat across water. You might have troops that actually do die. You might have troops that should have died, but they are somehow protected. <laughs> Um, which is a bit a bit weird. It's kind of counterintuitive. So when you explain that to somebody, they're like, "Wait, wait, what?" Yeah, especially then, when if they come from playing Risk, I know that we're like, "Wait, you mean your guys just get to like run away?" Yeah, and they don't. Yeah, I, I get that. And I think there are a whole bunch of instances that the ports again also very annoying. The thing that makes them especially annoying Guilty. is um, so your order tokens they don't do the same things. Um, for everything on the board. So a uh, support on a ship um, area can support anything adjacent to it. A support on land can only support land adjacent to it. A support on a port can only support the sea next to it. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, so those are a little fiddly. All right, I will Brady, say, I'm going to give you a chance here, but you're you're walking on thin ice here. Okay, so when it comes to, but the, and so there are some edge cases. Stephen admitted that there were in TI4. Um, I think where the simplicity comes is that other than your, like, attack deck, um, and then like the starting position, all of the factions in Game of Thrones are the same. Like they don't have any special rules that are tied to them. Um, and so when you're coming into TI4, and I know when I was coming into it for the first time, I was like, and there's like 18 million different factions in TI4 and they all, yeah, 24, that's a lot. So, and they all play, they all play very differently. Um, like some of them are just very different than the other ones, like the, uh, the necro necrocons or whatever they're called. They like necrovirus, necrovirus. They like essentially they, yeah. So they, you really have to like dive into each one of those. And there's like, there's like just articles and articles and articles on on how different they are, what they're good at, and I had to I know because I had to read all of those articles going into it, and then when I got my like assigned faction, I'm like oh my gosh, going back and forth like reading tons of articles trying to figure out what these different factions do and what they're good at and how they play and all of this stuff. So it you know isn't quite on the level of something like root but i would say as far as complexity goes that is a that's a bigger hang up it does give you more variety certainly but um yeah all right that's a strong point really quick uh do you have any last thing to say with that Stephen? and then i'm going to award a point i i think i've earned this point so i, I rest my case you rest your case <laughs> uh, that is very difficult brady uh you had lost this very uh strong strong uh very heavy hand, heavy handedly but you did bring up a good point where uh, the faction differences. Um, but I think S- Steven has very succinctly pointed out the flaws in a uh, Game of Thrones complexity a little bit better. I'm not saying who's wrong or right. I'm just saying who's uh, better here. And so the point for complexity is going to be awarded to TI4. All right, moving on to the next topic, and we're going to try to keep these a little more uh, tight in time here, is for the length of play for these games. So there's a big barrier to some games for a lot of people is the time. We have difficulty getting people to sit down to a 90-minute game sometimes, let alone a 6- to an 8-hour game or 12 hours. Um, So and there's a a stark difference in time of play between your two games. And so how would you defend uh, your game when people are trying to use the length of play against it? Uh, Brady, you can start this one off. Oh, yeah. So uh, quite simply, uh, like we can get in a game of Game of Thrones in like three to four hours, I would say, is a pretty safe space for that. Um, And it uh, really cut down on that time from its and its grandfather diplomacy, which lasted for forever. So uh, I think Fantasy Flight did a great job taking a great game and saying, hey, how do we bring this into uh, the modern era and and make it more approachable, make it more mainstream. We were talking about that last week, going into Game of Thrones, and then they did a good job keeping it nice and concise at a crisp, brisk three to four hours. Steven? Well, I don't think um, the length of a game is necessarily going to be a good or bad uh, thing. If you are doing something enjoyable, it's still enjoyable if you've been doing it for... Uh, three hours or six hours, as long as um, there's some variety to it. And you're staying hydrated and nourished. And staying hydrated (laughs) and uh, well-fed. But uh, 
the thing I like about Twilight Imperium is every single round that you play is different. Uh, the board state has changed. You have gained new technologies. Um, there are new threats. People are moving around. Um, when I compare this to Game of Thrones, you pretty much are playing the same game from about the second round onward. Um, at the very start, you kind of expand a little bit, but then at that point, the borders are set, and then it's just a little bit of tug-of-war for the rest of the game. And I don't get that same sense of growth that I get. Mm. Right. Take it on time. The last offense here, Brady. I would disagree somewhat. I think the uh, influence tracks, um, I think those cannot be like more important throughout the game. So having moving from the top to the bottom or the middle on those is very important. And then I think the um, battling the wildlings or whatever from time to time uh, and and really just the whole like uh, the card system and the, or the wildling thing at the beginning uh, of each round kind of sets each round apart. Okay. Well, my determination, I think, Stephen, you may have known you were going to lose this point here, is uh, uh, Game of Thrones is going to win this for a length of play, uh, mainly for the sheer fact that you can play two games of Game of Thrones and the time it would take to play one game of TI4. All right, we're tied one-on-one one piece. Would you want to? Yes, yes. All right, Matthew, what's the next That's thing? not the topic. All right, next one is a thing that you hear me talk about a lot in games uh, and that I really value a lot is what kind of player agency do I have? And I think Stephen may have just started to talk on this a little bit in his last argument. Uh, Stephen can start us off. Uh, so player agency, what the what's the balance between what I want to do and what I can do and how do I get to exert my influence onto the game state how I would like to and how does the game allow me to discover new routes to either victories or just kind of the options that I have as a player. Steven, you can start us off. All right. So Twilight Imperium um, begins every round of the game by selecting one of eight strategy cards. And so every player at the table will select one of these. And the strategy card you select gives you a, um, a power. And when you activate this card, everyone else at the table can get a weaker version of that power. And so the card you pick every round will vastly change uh, what kind of strategies you can pursue throughout the game. So if you want to build a lot of space cannons and establish a really strong defense, you can pick construction. If you want to just go hardcore in that technology, just pick technology every time. Um, you can go for trade goods. So that right there gives you a whole lot of choice in what you want to do with the game. Um, also, during the rounds themselves, you normally have uh, numerous options on how you are going to uh, play the round. Do you want to fight over something this round? Do you want to just make a rush for the center of the galaxy and grab that uh, valuable center planet? Uh, do you just want to play passive this round and maybe uh, consolidate your forces? So there is a whole lot of agency, I feel. And there's, character. what, eight of those? Yes, there are eight strategy cards. Eight strategy cards. The two that don't get selected get a bonus uh, trade good on them. So next round, if you pick one of those, um, you get a bonus trade good. So if they um, 
if a particular card doesn't get chosen, it's more valuable. Yeah. And so the value of every card kind of changes throughout the game too. So you start with those eight and then you can fraction off into your strategy. All right, Brady, uh, how would you support and defend and uh, also put down TI4 when it comes to player agency in the um, game? Well, so I will I will say this is where the the two games probably differ uh, a, a lot here. So um, the in TI4, it's really based off of that um, that strategy card system. Uh, you really um, a lot of times like need the one you need, and so if you if you don't get that one, that can like really um, like delay you at worst, if not absolutely cripple you. Um, at I would best. also just take a pause here. We are including all expansion materials for the game, so feel free to include those in your arguments as well. Okay. Um, and so when it comes to Game of Thrones, there's not that. So really everyone just has the, um, access to the same tools. And those tools are your little order tokens. Um, and so everyone, uh, each round of the game, will just place out their order tokens. And then you um, you just move those uh, during the action. How many phase. main order token actions are there? How many different types? Well, there are five, so you, there's five main actions you can take with yeah. these tokens. So there is like march, defend, raid, consolidate power, and support. And, okay. Uh, so those are the five. Everyone has access has access to those. Everyone knows they do. And so you're not, um, and not that this is necessarily good or bad, but you're not limited at all during the game um, to like what action card you select. So. Uh, you at any time during the game, you can go and attack someone or you can, you know, defend. And so uh, you're not necessarily like honed in on any particular round on one strategy. What do the raid tokens do? The raid tokens uh, like hinder other people's Does it support. cancel out other people's actions? Support. Support. Yeah. Uh, are there any tokens that cancel other people's actions in TI4? There aren't tokens, but uh, TI4 does feature a large stack of action cards. There are some duplicates in there, but about two-thirds of the deck is unique cards, and those cards can do some really crazy things. So I don't even seen them all. There is a veto one, right, where it's like, oh, you can just cancel uh, somebody yeah, else's you card. You can say you yeah. can't vote there's a yeah the sabotage where you can cancel somebody else's card you can do all sorts of things though all right so before i reward the point for player agency you uh, a quick open open forum here to uh go at one another i will just say you uh, you you are not um restricted at any time by the action card that is or is not left to you at the time that you choose you can at any point do what you want to do on any given round but is it true that even if you don't select the action card, you still have an opportunity to take a, even though it's weaker, a version of that action when someone else activates it? Yes, so every card has a, a primary and a secondary power. Um, but Game of Thrones, this is... I'm always trying is, to take that primary power, if you know what I'm saying. This is one of the things that I've found sort of disappointing about Game of Thrones is um, I feel like there's a promise there if you have these six unique houses and they're all going to be um, somewhat asymmetric. But as Brady kind of mentioned earlier, they're basically the same. You have a few different house cards, um, but most of the uh, houses play the same. Hey, the they're only... all humans. There's not 14 different races in Game of Thrones. <laughs> this is grounded fantasy here. But, well, 
That's, all right, a, that's another that's category. Against it. All right. But, all right. Final decision here, gentlemen. I think you all have made very, um, very astute arguments here. And I'm going to be awarding player agency a point to TI4. Congratulations, Steven. You are now up two to one as the greatest board game ever made. Um, next, points. obviously, why we play these games is for combat to a large degree when it comes to it. Um, so I would like for this is to discuss um, how combat is done and resolved. I uh, include the fun factor of that uh, is how how do you feel when that combat is either done to you or you're the one doing it to another player. Uh, how does luck interact? How, what are the mechanics of combat? And how is it better than your opponent's game? Um, I believe that, Brady, you can start this one. Okay, so I will say uh, combat in um, Game of Thrones feels a lot more uh, strategic and intentional. A lot of times you're, you can move into a combat um, having a good idea of what the outcome is, whether you're going to win or lose. And um, so what combat involves is like the strength of your units on the board um, in the embattled area, plus your house combat cards, which can add strength and also special abilities. And those abilities are kind of where the asymmetry comes in for Game of Thrones. Um, but most of the time you're kind of going in um, and it could be a toss up at some point, but you're going in knowing whether you're going to win or lose. And so you in that if you know you're going to to win, you can try to like decimate your opponents or get some other benefit. But you can also do that when you're about to, when you know you lose at some point. Like there are some cards in the game um, where you can really fend off like incoming attacks because uh, you have powerful cards that trigger if you lose. And so people don't want to come and attack you because um, even if they, you know, quote unquote, win the combat, uh, you are going to hurt them um, pretty badly. And then um, it, the wonderful thing about Game of Thrones is that if you want to throw in a little more uh, like um, guesswork into it, they give you an option for that. It's called, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a little deck of cards where you draw, um, each, each player draws one during uh, combat and it can kind of, add a little bit of variance to I the believe they're called the suffer pain cards where you flip them over and it just tells you you, right. you lose your troops. Is that about right? No. Well, it, the suffer pain Maybe. cards is, sometimes <laughs> it's probably close to the name but it's like yeah, they just like add like 1 to 3 strength and then kill, you know, one or two two dudes on the map, which is huge. <laughs> All right, Steven, uh, when it comes to combat and combat mechanics of TI4, uh, how is it better uh, than Game of Thrones? So combat in TI4 is a bit terrifying. So what you do is you look at all the ships or troops participating in the combat, and then you chuck a big fistful of dice and you pray that you rolled good which I know doesn't sound appealing, but <laughs> you're going to be doing this multiple times. Um, you're trying to only engage in situations where you know you have the overwhelming advantage. Because if you are engaging in a fight that's a 50-50 on whether you win or lose, then you will do most uh, whatever you can in your power to avoid that fight. And so TI4 isn't a battle game. It's a game about negotiating or negotiating so you can avoid those terrifying, scary fights. Yeah, and I will say, I think 
one of the things that like legitimately disappoints me about TI4 is, um, and I, I think again, this is a callback to my risk days where like you win risk by fighting people is I think one of the first games we played of TI4, the person who won did not engage in a single combat. And to me, that just breaks my heart for this like dudes on a map game that someone can get away with not fighting the whole game and and they win. And part of that is is those mission objectives. Um, like only some of them have to do with like controlling territories or or even winning battles. Um, a lot of them have to do with like technology and economic um, achievements and stuff like that. So I would agree that you want to carry a big stick but not have to use it in TI4. Would you say that is correct, Stephen? That is totally correct because there is oftentimes little to gain but a whole lot to lose in fights. Always, I can speak from personal experience, there is always more to lose than you will (laughs) ever imagine that you could gain. Matt Um, has lost quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Due to those dice. Matt loves dice when it comes to combat. So here's where I'm torn. Um, I the, The dice rolling is absolute trash. Um, I believe card combat is better. However, I will say that you have very greater control of variation of your troop uh, diversity that you bring into combat because certain troop types in TI4 have specific advantages against other troop types, more so than you would have against uh, in Game of Thrones where this unit has an advantage against this unit type. Plus, we're not even including the different mech upgrades and leader upgrades. Is that what they are in the... Uh, prophecy of kings expansion that you can add into it so the diversity of troops are units that you can bring into a combat and trying i think the thing that i have been hosed about is i think it's hey this is just we're just going in there whoever's the most units and rolls the most dice has a better odds but it's whoever has the greatest uh whoever has the best combination of of units to go up against your units is the one that wins in ti4 and what would you say about that well i think while that's cool um, and I, I think, yeah, diversity in the units um, is important. And there's like slight diversity in Game of Thrones, um, but it does make it much more complex and adds length to... Um, it's a shame you didn't mention this in your argument. <laughs> uh, adds length to the combat. Hey, this is, we're still here. Um, and so like a lot of times in, uh, in TI4, when you go up against a battle, if you feel like you're doing like math equations in your head because you like, you're like, okay... I'm going to roll for my basic units now. Now I'm going to roll for my advanced units. And PDS, Planetary Defense Systems. Yeah, so uh, the, we didn't even mention that before we even start combat. And I will say, I think, what do you roll, like a 10-sided die or a 12-sided die? 10-sided die. 10-sided, yeah. So uh, most of the basic units hit on like a 9 or a 10, which gives, it just makes them feel so weak. <laughs> and um, I, I I play a lot, of, um, a lot of X-Wing, too, as one of my favorite games. Um, and so when you attack, and that's primarily dice combat. And so when you're attacking with that, you have essentially a 50-50 chance of, of a hit with each die roll. Um, and so going into combat, knowing that you can only hit on a 10 or a 9 or something is just heartbreaking when you roll like eight <laughs> dice and only like you get one or zero hits. Been there. Ooh. Been there. I do want to say one last thing kind of about... Uh the fun factor of these uh, combat systems. In Game of Thrones, I found the battles to be almost sterile in the resolution. Um, Those are strong can, words there, yep, Stephen. 
pretty much every fight. So the hand of cards you have is open information. So you can engage in a fight and know 100% that you are going to win this. That's and an overlooked rule often that I remember one of our last games, Steven says, hey, I, I don't know if it's Brady or someone else at the table, give me your cards, I want to look at them. And they were like, no, I'm not giving you my cards. And it's like, you have to. Yep, and it's all public information. So you can engage in a fight and know there is absolutely no way I can win this. Or, sorry, no way I can lose this. Or, well, um, vice versa, no way I can win or this, no right? Way I if, can the, win if, this. The, if you're saying, if this person plays with reasonable logic mm-hmm. in, their con- in their card selection, you can, hey, uh, before I even make my decision for what uh, token I'm going to play down to even attack or defend, give me your cards and let me look at them. And I think sort of Game of Thrones tries to sell you on it's there's a bluffing aspect to the combat. It's like, ooh, what card are they going to play? And then you got to counter it with your card. But if you know it all. Nine out of ten times, it's really just, well, if I play my three here, then I'll just win, and it's worth it, and I'm going to do that, and then I'll yeah, play and four I think next time. Sometimes it is worth it. I will say there are times uh, depend where you kind of have that like little bit of rising sun bluffing where where it goes like, okay, well, they, they can, and they know that they can win this if they play their four, which is like their most powerful one. But if they know that... I know that there's no way I can win. I'm just going to try to throw away one of my lowest cards. Then they might not play their four. Because they when might, you use yeah. it, you lose it. Yeah, when you lose it, you lose it. So they might not play their strongest one. They might try to get away with playing a lower one. And so in that case, I can play my strongest one and pull out the win. And I have seen this that happen happened. a couple of times. Yeah. Yes. I just wish it happened more. I'm trying to recall. I wish combat like, happened more in <laughs> TI4. I'm trying to recall an instance in Game of Thrones where we had a battle and everyone at the table was like, just like losing their minds. Like, like what oh, is gonna happen? I can't believe this just happened. Do you recall a single battle that was like that? There, yeah, there you is pretty not, much know what's about to happen here when they go in. There is not necessarily like dice rolling, but we have had that in another combat game. But no, 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 Brady, wait, we're sticking wait, here. All right, well, we're talking so, about card combat here. We're sticking on Game of Thrones. You can't bring okay. other games into support. I think Brady your just made the point that uh, oh, you should play a different okay. game instead of Game wow. of Thrones. That was a that was a bombshell revelation. There, I'm going to go ahead and award. <laughs> The combat point as much as it pains me because dice rolling is literally the things of my nightmare um and the reason why i have pain wow. when playing ti4 is i need the, i need the other boys here to back me up for this. <laughs> this i think well they're gonna listen to this episode right now brady how many times have i mentioned i'm never playing ti4 again uh, a lot okay so don't give me this bias <laughs> nonsense here yeah, uh-huh. I'm all, I'm judging this based on what you present to me. All right, another topic uh, that is really important, I believe, in games is a sense of progression that you have as you play it. Um, an easy description of this: if you took a snapshot of the one hour, two hour, three blank, do you sense see a sense of progression in the game board development? In my development, as what I can do as a player, so that includes maybe a little bit of tech development, engine building player ability progression, how you are changing the way you play the game as the game goes on. Uh, Steven, you can start this one off. Yeah, so I sort of already alluded to this earlier, but in a game of TI4, the board uh, changes so much. Every game you play feels like a story, and you can be like, oh, remember that time we played and this crazy thing happened, or Matthew tried to pick a fight with the space lines and got completely demolished. Do you, yeah. do you remember that, Matthew? I do. Because it's a story. It's, yeah, it is. And it's not. Um, it's one category I'm not putting in here because it's kind of hard to 
make equal footing, but uh, the board setup is different and random every single time in TI4, where in Game of Thrones is a set board. It's not really a fair comparison because there's just no other way to do it, so we're not going to add that as a, a point scoring thing, but that is to note in the progression that you can find in each different mm -hmm. game. Uh, yeah, so I I don't think we need to dwell on this one too much. Um, as far as progression goes, yeah, like much of the progression in Game of Thrones is tied to like where your troops are on the map. So we're you know dudes on the map, where the troops are on the map. So you can see like the expansion of your territory, um, and then there's a little bit. You can definitely see like a, a good bit of like ebb and flow on those different influence tracks with who has taken control of those. Um, but there is no. There is no like tech tree or anything like that in Game of Thrones. It's very um, so are grounded. You, are you doing way. the same actions at the two hour mark versus the one or the three hour mark? Yes, but the okay. stakes are higher because you are you are getting closer to that victory point. Okay, that's going to be one of our scoring is uh, win condition, game end trigger. Uh, Steven, do you have anything else you'd like to put into the progression development engine building kind of scope of a discussion here? Uh, I think we kind of said what we need to. I think I love the progression in TI4, discovering new technologies, um, growing your race, uh, and just the way the game plays. What is happening right now? Brady, I, I needed you to be a lot stronger here tonight. You skipped leg day or something here uh, because I'm going to be awarding the point for progression, player development, uh, to TI4 over Game of Thrones. What is happening? Oh, Lord. Okay. Just got to pick the right I horse. Gotta, I need to pick some different categories. Okay. Um, so another thing that's huge in both of these games is, and we can talk about it just very quickly, is diplomacy. Uh, Brady, how would you present uh, the diplomacy aspect in uh, negotiating table, table, let's say table talking amongst a player, the value of table talk versus actions you take? How is that better in Game of Thrones? Um, well, it just cannot be understated. And I mean, anyone who is even somewhat familiar with the Game of Thrones universe, whether you read the books or watch the movies, knows how, like, um, I will say, like, the, it, it does get more thematic if you know that stuff because uh, because you just know how uh, manipulated, manipulative all those characters can be. And that is how manipulative you have to be in Game of Thrones. Um and like some of the factions have to be there more than others. Like, um, for example, the Starks that are up in the north, they've got a little bit more time um, before they're right in someone else's face there and have to be very Whereas diplomatic. Whereas the Lannisters, which yeah. in the last game we played and we actually talked about it on podcasts yeah. several episodes ago, you have to, from second one, yeah. have to be fighting for your life because yeah. you have a three or four front offensive that you have to go at. Yeah, so the Lannisters are right smack in the middle of everybody. So, I mean, and... Like in the show as well, like the Lannisters are, they're always making deals and uh, Lannisters always pay their debts and all that kind of stuff. And so it's thematic. So right off the bat, you're looking over at the Greyjoys and going, hey, do you want to be friends? We're looking down south to the Martells and you're like, hey, do you want to be friends? Looking across to the Baratheons and saying, hey, do you want to be friends? Someone has to be my friend or, Kumbaya, gentlemen. Yeah, Kumbaya. or we are not going to last. And that played out in our last game where I did a little backstabby too early on the Greyjoys and it came to you paid the iron heart. price so yeah I mean I would say almost like I would say at least half of the game is is played above the table and and that okay. and and even right at the start where uh to hey on TI4 a little bit um even in that game everyone 
is kind of the Starks where you, you have like two or three lands between you two. And so you don't feel like right at the start, you have to like start talking to people or you're going to just die. Okay. So. Steven? Diplomacy, table talk. How is that greater or better implemented in TI4? So I think this is actually the most important topic um, for rating both of these games. This is the number one reason why TI4 is one of my favorites, if not my favorite game, and also the reason why I dislike uh, Game of Thrones. I love it. Hit, it. hit us hard with it. So I've got a, I've got a, a hot phrase for you. <laughs> Political capital. TI4 has it. Game of Thrones does not. So the kind of core of any negotiation is what can you give somebody and what can they give you? So TI4, you have trade goods. You can make agreements about planets. You can make agreements on, all right, I'm going to score this point this turn, and then next round, you get to score this point. You can uh, make agreements on how you're going to vote. Uh, you can make agreements on how to use your action cards or when to use your strategy cards. There is just so much in the game. In that the new expansion, can't you trade, like, because the new expansion, you can explore plants and get, like, bonus and rewards. Can yes, you trade that's those? true. There are now um, relics that you can, uh, relic fragments that you can trade to make relics. So oh, there is just, right? mm -hmm, yeah, there's so much in the game that facilitates and enables uh, negotiations and diplomacy. In Game of Thrones, you, the only kind of agreements you can make are, I won't attack you if you don't attack me. That's about it. You have no. You have um, the influence tracks there, so you can say, "Hey, I, I will." And and the person who owns the Iron Throne breaks all ties, so you can say, "Hey." So one uh, person has the power. Well, that's not. That, so three people have the power over there on top of the tracks, and so yeah, you there's can three say, different ones. So as you, if you're t on top of the Iron Throne track, you can say, "Hey." Like I'm gonna break this tie in your favor if you, you know, if don't we, attack me. Yeah, don't attack me. That's all you have that. to offer. So, but you thing, also have you have power that you can give to people. You can't trade power, can you? Yes, in the expansion you can. Ah, uh, see, oh, I, I've never actually played capital. with the expansion in uh, for Game of Thrones. Um, maybe it'd help it a little bit, but uh, anytime you add dragons, um, and everything is improved. Every game I have played, though it. You pretty much have two neighbors, and you look to one and say, I won't attack you if you won't attack me, and you look to the other and say, I won't attack you if you won't attack me, and then invariably you attack one or both of them, and uh, that's that sums up the politics in Game of Thrones. But it's, be it, I think, it, and it, 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 like, it's kind of fair that you don't have as much to offer, but I think it makes what you do have to offer so much more weighty. Like, like the, um, like, you know, that, that whole, like, I want to, and, and it's not necessarily, like, I want to attack you. You want to attack me. It's, Hey, you kind of divide up these like territory lines and say, all right, do not cross that line. Um, and like just the trust you have to put in that person to not to uphold their word on that. It is, it's massive. It's, it's, I, I will say good. the weight, even though the, the decisions may be a lot more simplistic, the weight of that agreement is the difference between winning and losing the game yeah, right at the onset. Um, but there's also a whole like voting round council phase in TIE 4, is there not? There is. So once uh, one player has landed on the center planet, uh, Mechatol Rex, which is sort of like a uh, Coruscant 
um, just Star a giant, Wars reference yeah, for Star everyone. Wars reference, giant city world. Uh, you have a vote uh, at the end of every single round, actually two votes, where you can spend the influence that you have acquired in the game to uh, influence new laws, uh, new directives, elect new players to uh, be like the minister of peace or something like that. So it's essentially, here's a new like global, uh, like these ships aren't, you can't move these or you can't do this or you can, you have to give somebody a really good power. Who are we going to give that good power? Um, kind of simplified version of it, I guess. Yep. And so the whole um, system surrounding that, there's just a lot of different deals you can make regarding that, which is what I love about it. Brady, can you say any negative things about the diplomacy part of TI4? Um, not necessarily. I will say the um, the trade goods has always felt a little fiddly to me. Um, and it, it kind of makes sense, but it feels like it's like kind of tacked on, uh, cause like you, you can essentially trade, but then you just like flip them over and they become from like commodities to trade goods or whatever. And then now you can use them. And so that has always felt like, I don't know, it feels a little, little tacked on to me. Okay. I'm going to use my discernment for the good of the world. And I'm going to apply a half a point to each. Wow. Limping out. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, these next two, I think, may be the most important ones we get to. Um, but So we're, let's stay focused on this. The next one is, it may not be used the correct term of this, but I will call it the prisoner's dilemma. Uh, and uh, this can be seen in both games. Uh, and I will give an example for TI4 because of the length of the game and the changing of the board state. And this is not a rare occasion because this happens in almost every single game. There is a distinct moment that you see in a game, uh, maybe halfway through in TI4, where you know that this one or two people can not win. It is unfathomable, imaginable. Uh, black holes would have to open up in our own reality for them to have a chance to win this game. Um, but they still have to sit there and play for another four hours and there's a decision that they have to make. Do I just go through the motions so other players don't get upset because I'm wrecking their game? Or do I just try to enjoy myself these four hours and just do whatever makes me feel good, but then also throwing out the balance for people who can still compete? Uh, on the other hand, vice versa, with Game of Thrones, there is that situation to where like, if a couple people just want to gang up on you and not allow you to win, you have no recourse in that situation. You can't barter you can't scheme you can't connive your way out of it if you're in a, if you're especially a faction that is in a bad position uh such as the um um uh, the lannisters there if people just want you to be done out of the game they don't want to have to worry about you as another player they can just eliminate you from the game and you just have no recourse or power to do anything about it um so when that's what i'm calling prisoner's dilemma where you can be you kind of held hostage by the game itself and then add on to that the time and length of the game that you may still have to play after that state has been triggered. Um, so how would you, we can start with Brady, how would you defend that situation that a player could find themselves in no fault of their own but still have another two or three hours to play the game? Uh, well, I would say first that like usually at that point in Game of Thrones at least, you don't have another two or three hours to play the game. Like, um, a lot of times when you've hit that point and it, it, you can hit that point in a lot of different games. It's not just like these two games. I would say root has a lot of the same issue where like, if 
one or multiple players is just gung ho for you, then you're you're not winning the game. Um, and so, uh, Game of Thrones suffers from that as well. I found myself in that position as the Lannisters in like the last round or two. I was totally decimated, and at that point, um, yeah, you just kind of like, or as far as my approach to the game, it, it's just trying to have fun for the for this like last thirty minutes to an hour. Um, and so like allying with another player saying, Hey, I'm, and I think, I think especially when it comes to these games, um, like allying with and saying, Hey, I can't win, but I'm with you all the way. And that's what I did. I helped Steven here rise from the South as the Martells. Southern um, Alliance. Yeah. So that, yeah, the Southern Alliance, yeah, that game. We had a Northern Alliance with myself and, as the, as the Starks and the Great Joys. Uh, the way the two houses should be aligned in unity against the Southern rebels. Yeah. And so, um, I, yeah, so I guess I would say that you, when you get to that point in game of Thrones, the game is just about over anyways. It's like you got a round, game. you've got maybe a round or two and then, then it's over. Okay. Uh, Steven, how would you defend the arguments brought against TI4 and it, Maybe it's just us because this has happened in every single game we've played, it seems like almost. Yeah, I would say in a typical game of TI4, on the very last round, you will have at least two people, but oftentimes three or four, that have a very good shot at winning the game. And then there's normally one or two people that are far enough behind that it's just not really feasible and the difference between this is that if you play just a standard game is a 10 points is the win condition once you hit it uh and what we're talking about is like we still have probably two hours at least to play and there's a couple of people at like two or three points everyone else is between six and seven and it's just unfeasible for them to make up that difference that's true but that also normally happens kind of later earlier on um this is again where the politics comes in there's a lot of negotiating uh, you can do if you are in a weaker position you can use that and be like listen i'm not a threat you need to make deals with me and there are ways you can catch back up in that game you just you just have to recognize and be on it early though yeah. i think our good uh our friend and uh, friend of the show david uh, who's been on would definitely say that in every game he's played he has, he's like guys i'm out and this is mainly him I mean, he just wants to be an agent of chaos um, because I have found that because of the length of the game and the commitment that you're making, that if those players get find themselves in that position and they have to make that decision, what do I do? Do I just play this game for the other people so they don't get upset and the like throwing stuff off, or do I just play to have fun? Um, every time someone has chosen play to have fun or like, hey, I'm just gonna join up with this other person, like you could do in Game of Thrones, which makes sense. You do that in game, you do that in Twilight Imperium, and you just join up and you're just, hey, let's both go at it. Um, the other players who are ahead that that affects have all gotten very frustrated or upset and asked like, why are you doing this? Well, here's kind of how I feel about that in Twilight Imperium. Maybe not everyone does feel the same, but I find the act of just playing Twilight Imperium really fun. Win or lose. The experience. By the end, yeah, the experience. I've had a good time. Um, the theme also really brings me in. So I, I feel like I'm trying to increase my race's uh, prestige in the galaxy. So even if I don't win a game of Twilight Imperium, I still feel really good about, you know, getting second in a game of Twilight Imperium. That means I'm the second most prestigious uh, race in the galaxy. But what if you're sixth? 
Well, you should avoid that. <laughs> yeah. See, but I think, I'm saying about this is specifically the people that are in fifth and sixth, and there is no honor and glory at, yeah. in either one of those positions. Uh, if I was in that position, I would try to score as many points as I can, just because okay. that is fun for me. But so I think, but but you are a purist with this game, like you are full on. But like, not everyone like they're enjoying the game, but they're like the, at least the people that have found themselves in our games at that like fifth and sixth place position, and there's no hope. Like they're not like as diehard. So for them, they're just trying to stay, you know, cognitive focus in the game. And so sometimes they resort to more fanciful tactics in the game that make and other people. A lot of the game can be kind of understanding the personalities of the other players at the table and being able to use that to your own advantage whenever you can. Yeah. And I, Oh, what, what is that little like scale? Is the four quadrant? You're like a rogue chaos or what is that, Brady? Uh, your, your alignment. <laughs> the D&D yeah, your alignment. Your alignment. Scale. Yeah. So everyone has like to announce Steven, their alignment, so you just like know Steven what kind of like player you're waffle, playing with. Waffle neutral or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. That's I, fair. And so I think that is that is a huge difference between Stephen and I, um, because uh, like for these games in particular, and you guys know that it's these games, and and Ti Four and Game of Thrones and Rue all have this, and Inish was another game that we played where it is it's the first two so many points. Um, well, that, that's, that's going to be our next little scoring is win conditions. So let's keep it on okay. the that prisoner's dilemma that we just mentioned. Okay, last little comments about All those. Right, I'm I'm done with prisoner's dilemma. Any other? No, I think we've kind of talked okay. about king making. I am yeah. going to award this point to Game of Thrones because I do agree that although it is there every time I've seen it, it has been pretty close into the end game situation. And every time you align with someone else, you I've never seen it devolve in like other players getting very frustrated. Maybe it's just who it depends on who you're playing with, I guess, is knowing that. Uh, so I'm going to award the point to Game of Thrones. Um, and our last big uh, topic, uh, score point scoring topic here is win condition. Um, so the win conditions are different in these two games. So I just want you to argue how you, the win condition is more fulfilling, more exciting, more nail biting, uh, is something you enjoy working towards and is better than your opponent's version of the win condition. And also explain obviously clearly what your win condition is, uh, for that. Uh, Brady, you can start us off. Okay. So this is where I'm going to get real. So I, so as someone who genuinely, um, enjoys twilight imperium and i would say i enjoy it even more than matthew does um my biggest disappointment with it is that scoring system so in twilight imperium there's a few different caveats so the, in, in both games um you play and it's the first to 10 points in twilight imperium first to seven points in game of thrones um so i don't like that as a mechanic but both of these games have them the my caveat with twilight imperium 4 is that number one, you can only ever uh, score one point per turn unless you have like a special other or a special, what is it, strategy card that I think you can score two or in certain circumstances you can score two. Correct. So one of the strategy cards you can pick out will allow you to score a bonus uh, objective point for the round. Yeah, so you can only ever score one in, unless you have a, a certain thing. And then not only can you only ever score one, um, but you can never lose points. And so you do very quickly, and unfortunately I've found myself in that situation more because I think the two or three times that I've played 
I literally have only ever scored like two or three points and, and the winner has scored 10. Um, and so maybe that's just me and I, I need to, you know, get good type of thing, but yeah, you do, there is nothing you can do about it. in and TI four, like I cannot start attacking the leader and, and steal points from him. Uh, where you can do that in Game of Thrones. So again, the points are tied to the regions. And so if you take a region from someone, you take a point from them and give it to yourself. And so it can have this like, um, this like ebb and flow back and forth, like roller coaster type of thing, where in TI4, it's this steady incline of point gain. And there's, once someone's kind of on that track, there's not much you can do to get them off of that track to victory. It's just you have to be right there with them, you know. But and isn't so this the, also a point that you argue against is the gang up on a leader ability in a game? Yeah, like I said, I don't um, I don't like this mechanism in general where it's the first to so many points, but I think it's worse in... Because what, what, what triggers the end game in Game of Thrones? It's the first to seven castles. castles. Yep. Or... Or, in, or when the... Uh, the 10th round the 10th round has the most. so the thing is although i feel like we've i don't think we've ever actually gotten to a 10th round but the the knowledge is like just me having these these five castles or whatnot isn't going to win me the game because i could have it taken away from me so you're constantly trying to fight for that every moment of the game yeah yeah exactly and so so even like let's say somebody has six castles in game of thrones and i have one or two I actually still feel like I can win because someone can knock that person down. And, and you then pick I, up a couple. Yeah, including me. And I, so I could knock them down to, to four, and then I gain, or knock them down to, to four, I gain those it's two. A, and it's a swing of four and now, points. Yeah, and now we're, we're tied. And so... Um, Whereas, as in TI4, your points, correct, Stephen, are locked in. And there is there any... I don't think so. Any kind of way you could lose points in TI4? There are um, specific types of points that you can score. So one of the um, ways that you can lose a point is there is a support for the throne card you can give to someone. Oh, yeah, that's true. If you give them that, they score a point. If they ever attack you, though, they lose that point. So that is a super powerful you negotiation should, you tool. should have put that in there with the negotiation well, there's arguments. Just there's, so much. So much. there's just so much. Yeah, you can't even think say about, it all. I did think about that, but... And that is one of those things where, you know, that would be. I think that would be something cool if they had a little card pack mechanic you could put into Game of Thrones. Because I think in general that mechanic or concept in just any kind of dudes on a map game is like we're making this commitment, but if I go against it, I've committed to a negative consequence to myself. An actual negative consequence in the game. Yeah, I will say that was something unique um, that I thought was really cool. Is like the, you know, your alliance is more than just. than what's on the board. It is like, oh, if you actually break this alliance, you will lose a point. So they have, you know, something to lose there. But I I mean I will say, like when when the alliance is tied to mechanics in the game, I I really feel like it is it makes it less weighty. Um because it, it's the same issue I have with Rising Sun where the the alliance system in there just, just for the very, benefits, not because we're yeah, actually like, yeah. wanting to do it. Exactly. All right. Steven? So the scoring in Twilight Imperium, um, you have a deck of objective cards. And every game you play, you will have five round one objectives and five round two objectives. And so every, um, I think there's about 20 of each. So there's 20 round ones, 
20 round twos. So every game you play, you are going to be have, um, or going to have different objectives you will be pursuing. So that right there gives you a lot of uh, variety in what you actually need for the game. Um, I will say it can sometimes be a little bit disappointing at the end if one person is way ahead in points. It doesn't happen uh, often at all. Um, but it also gives more weight, I think, to the, to the negotiations. If you agree to help someone score a point, that's a point they aren't going to lose. So it gives the agreement weight. Whereas if you agree to let someone have a castle in Game of Thrones, um, you can just as easily take that castle back later. And it, um, I think it loses something there. Okay. Uh, for, so in making this decision, the biggest part of this is um, I'm going to award this point to Game of Thrones for win condition solely kind of really on the fact that I've never, there, if you want to, there's never a point in Game of Thrones where like that person is going to win and we can't do anything about it. Like if you, if you are the collective group wanted to work together hard enough, whereas I feel in TI4, which some of those times you, you can be out two or three points and if we gang up on you, only certain people could even get reach of access because the galaxy is so large that you have a limited reach of access and then you could still just have a card or a bonus, um, kind of scoring point card that you can just play and it's just it's just done or it's over or if you have kind of like the uh because what has happened is in a couple at least one time is that steven and i both hit 10 points on the last round of the game but steven had picked up the priority um of one of the main objective what are they the the so every strategy card has strategy an card. initiative value so again that's, that's how you just, score winning that's part condition. of the game is uh yeah on the last round you need that high initiative to be able to score first. So I'm scoring this for Game of Thrones because I feel like more in Game of Thrones, you always feel like you are in reach if you are, can't if you work hard enough uh, with it to just grasp that victory if you want to. All right, these are the last two points that are up for grabs. It's lightning round, uh, 15, 20 seconds at most. Uh, next one is art of the game. We're getting real superficial Ooh. with it. Uh, how is your game better in its art? Um, I would say like the art, I, they're both produced by Fantasy Flight. The art is pretty good in both of them i do i love um and like one thing i cannot stand when it comes to an ip game is when they make a board game and they use like still pictures from the uh like the the movie or the show or whatever thankfully they do not do that in game of thrones so it is all original artwork it actually i'm pretty sure the board game predates the tv show yes so, the original the, the, we we played the second edition but the first edition of the game i believe does it yeah. is based off from the books yeah so all of the characters are original artwork they a lot of times they look different and probably more true to the actual um the books uh than the tv show is um and then the components are really good too they have these well, like components is going to be another one just oh, art. sorry sorry just art. um yeah, so, and it, 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 I'm perfectly satisfied with the art in Game of Thrones. Do you think it's better than TI4s? <sighs> That's tough. I mean, the the races... Well, don't give your opponent the point cool. here, Bray. I mean, it's just, it, it's it's hard to compare them because... You know, it's not oh, like that's we're what comparing. We're, doing. we're not that's comparing. That's bucks. why we're here. <laughs> that is why we're here. We're not comparing like two medieval style games. Um, this is apples and oranges, baby. Uh, yeah, so I since I prefer the more like historical based things, I'm going to say that the artwork um, is better in Game of Thrones. All right, Steven? We'll say both Wait. games do look pretty good, but 
Space Lions. Only one game has them. Well, the um, Game of Thrones has the Red Lions, the Lions of Lannister. Which so, game has um, the dragon in it? They both have dragons. Cause does does TI four have a dragon in it? Yeah, Lovely. the new expansion faction is a dragon, right? They like eat people. I'm sure. Yeah, that's the next one coming out. Yeah, the dragons. Now there are some space kaiju though, so uh, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right, I'm gonna give this point to Game of Thrones just because I'm a little partial to fantasy, uh, uh, medieval theme. All right, last one here, and this is for all the marbles because currently we're tied four and a half to four and a half, and it is components. Okay, this one's rough because there are a lot of components. Steven is over here laughing. I know. He just is a maniacal grin. Yes, and they have these great little minis. I will say there, no other game really does this. Uh, is like there is a, just a certain like elegance that comes with the components in Twilight or in uh, Game of Thrones because they, they they aren't like miniatures where like. Uh, you know, like in Risk, they had little minis where like the little stick or the little like uh, like spears and stuff were like bent because they're minis and all that kind of stuff. So instead, they use like these marbled, um, they almost look like wooden components, but they're like marbled plastic. And I don't know what it is, but they just look elegant. Like when I when I look at the board, I feel like I'm in Game of Thrones, like looking on in a throne room with a map and they have like really, you know, expensive looking pieces and everything like that. So Steven, uh, the components in TI four are a, um, a special upgrade from the components in TI three, uh, especially looking at the, the board itself as well as the minis. But when you take one of those war sons and you plunk it on the board, and everyone else sees your Death Star, especially if they didn't see you research the technology and you just plonk a Death Star down, that is just one of the most satisfying gaming experiences you will ever have. The expansion also has mechs in there as well. But those aren't Death Stars. They are, yeah. not. They are exciting. I will say the components, the components are awesome in... TI4. I, well, I, Brady, it's you, good that we agree. With, yeah. You're but making I will the say, job a little easier. I will on say me. this before you mark your little pen down. Um, this might not change your mind, but I really wish, because they're all the same, and I almost wish they would give you different types of like ships and everything, because they all look fairly like, you know, like a human fleet or whatever. And the factions are like vastly different. Some of them are like plants and stuff. And so it's like, there's no way that a plant would be. Would have a fleet. So Brady like wants this, this game to go from one hundred and fifty dollars to three hundred dollars. It would be exciting. There's actually um, they talk about this in the uh, there's a TI four documentary. It's like an hour long that uh, Shut Up and Sit Down did, but they were discussing having unique fleets for all the factions, and they realized if they did that, it would probably be more expensive than it is oh, now. Absolutely. And they would only be able to have six races, and so they made the correct decision of. <laughs> Just uh, yeah. just have well, the standard fleet and then include, you know, all the actual fun well, races. Well, also beyond that, and just, like, could you imagine trying to keep up, okay, which type of, okay, that shape of your ship is right. is what, again? You could, uh, yeah, you would, in a six-player game, everyone is different ships doing different things, different, you could never well, keep you track just, of that. I mean, they're all, like, different sizes, but, and I don't think you would necessarily need to put 24 of them in, but if you put six... And some of them just look a little more like one more looks a little more techy. One looks a little more streamlined. One looks a little more. There's very organic. very minor changes. Yeah, like or, organic biomatter type of thing. I think yeah, that that would be kind Steven, of. Stephen, cool. how heavy is TI4 with its expansion? 
I think like, I don't know, a few hundred pounds or something right. like Components, that. Components uh, point is going to <laughs> TI, <laughs> TI4. It is literally the weight of a dwarf star. Yep. Um, so our final decision, which is final, absolute, and resolved in its knowledge and uh, surety. Absolutely is no that bias. No bias at all. No bias. And I would tell you going into this this debate that if you asked me which of these two games you wanted to play tonight, I would probably would have picked uh, Game of Thrones. Um, but this is now making me want to get TI4 out with the boys now uh, because the score of five and a half to four and a half, TI4 wow. has asserted its dominance in the world of tabletop dudes on a map. You games. know, I will say, I, the, I, we, wow. and the Good crowd job. goes wild. We would like to applaud our, um, our winner tonight. And I will say, we, I think the last of these that we played was Game of Thrones. And so, and I, and the last time you guys played Game of Thrones, I wasn't able to make it because I was doing something else. But I am really looking forward, and I haven't played the new expansion yet, so I'm looking forward to playing TI4. I hope we can get it in, um, like, in the next couple weeks or so. Uh, but we'll see Steven, if your thoughts change. Yeah, what are your... So I have always ended the game with, like, two or three points. And I think part of this is because my, like, play style it is... completely different than what you want to do like what is well, it with, so the, like, with combat right well not necessarily so i a lot of times in games that have to have someone to do with like an engine like ti4 mm -hmm. does i really want to like get the engine to like full capacity and then start playing the game and i, I like that just doesn't work in ti4 because you can only score that one point and so if i start scoring points by like the, the third or fourth round i'm going to be way behind so what advice do you have for for the for me and the other scrubs out there who can only manage to score like two or three points in a game at TI4. So the biggest reason for that is at first glance, TI4 looks like space risk. It is not space risk. It is a, yeah. a race to 10 points. And so even from turn one, you got to be looking at those points that are there, sort of have an idea of what might show up, but it's all about figuring out ways that you are going to score those points. Um, Fighting doesn't really help you, unlike a game where, you know, risk, you score points by fighting. Yeah. In TI4, you lose points by fighting. <laughs> gotcha. So, well, Matthew, like, Steven and I have, big, have been big proponents of, like, our troops on a map game. What do you, what would you consider, like, your troops on a map game? Because I know Jacob in the group um, really likes, um, Lords of Hellas, he he likes that one. Yeah, John and David, I think love um, Root, and I think we all do. Uh, but what what would you say yours is? Um, yeah, I think there's too many things we've talked about a little bit before. That's just a little too wonky and fiddly and just out there. Um, in um, Lords of Hellas, for that to be mine, um, I feel like we, even though we talked about a bunch of different ones, we still don't have like huge. Uh, ensemble of uh, dudes on a map games probably root was still as cliche as it may be as much as we talk about it but root probably still would be um, because it has all the different stuff that i like about player agency progression uh, there's still a lot of diplomacy and table talk and the components and artwork and uh, um, all that kind of stuff and you can still play a four or five player game in a relatively reasonable amount of time um, for that so it's probably still be mine um I probably, this is, dudes on a map still is probably one of my 
hey, this is uh, I got to get this game. It's got dudes on a map. It's honestly one of the things that makes me a little more critical of like these Kickstarters and stuff is it's just these bunch of ministers and dudes on a map looking game. I'm more critical and hesitant to get the game, um, but I'm always happy and excited when it one of those games does shine through and I enjoy it. And I enjoy, um, um, I'm actually looking forward to when we're able to get our next game of TI4 in. Cause I feel like the more I play it, the more I'm able to just kind of get into the flow of the game with it. And we do seem to be able to shave a little more more time off as long as we're staying hydrated. Yeah. And, and we got those uh, wings. And we got some uh, <laughs> buffalo wings just to keep us uh, the nutrition level. Because I can't play that game on an empty stomach for six hours again. I just okay. I just can't. And another one that I have actually been kind of hearing a little bit more about lately um, that I want to give another try because we gave it one try. And even though I managed to win, um, I, d- I don't feel like I was fully satisfied with it. And that was Inish. Um, and I had been, and I, that's another one that has that first two, so many points or whatever, um, in condition. And I cannot convey enough how much I loathe that as a mechanic. Um, I hate the idea of pile on the leader, especially when I am that leader. Um, but I, I think Inish is like, from what I've been hearing, uh, lately, it's a good combination of blood rage, um, with a more like traditional style of dudes on the map. Cause blood rage is, I love blood rage, but it really does not feel like a dudes on the map game. It feels way more Euro than that. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like in blood rage, it's mostly a a drafting game. Yeah. With Euro mechanics. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So that I'm glad we got to talk about that. Steven, I'm glad we had you on. Let's, I know we're probably um, longer on time here. So let's, I'm pretty sure the audience, I can hear them just screaming across the multiverse right now. Give us more, (laughs) give us more. Oh yeah. Uh, But I don't, yeah, but we will move on to our uh, kind of a roundup kind of segment for this, the month of March. We've been living in that much March madness, but uh, board game style. And so we've been keeping up with each new round of results in the board game geeks. Uh, March Madness and it was the top 64 games we so this yeah yeah top 64 yeah sorry. and so we went through uh, we we're having each of our guests continue on the guest bracket Brady and I already completed our brackets from the very beginning but each guest we have one each week are adding on to their next round of the results so everyone gentlemen does everyone does everyone have their uh, sheets here um, so we uh, completed the first round results um, last a week uh, and so this week, uh, Brady, do you have the official results there? I have the official results. We'll all go right. through them really fast. Do you fast. have an extra pin so we can all keep track and score as we go through this? Uh, yeah, pause it. Yeah, grab one real quick. Um, so, Stephen, looking through here, what were some surprises for games that didn't make it out of the first round Then um, they kind of lost out that you thought would have been heavy hitters? Um, let me look at it. There was one that really stuck out to me. Should have told me this beforehand. <laughs> uh, I had a roll uh, for the Galaxy going far against Brass because of his popularity. I had it actually going to the top, the final four, um, but roll for the Galaxy didn't make it out of the first round because uh, I thought it was including like all the roll for the Galaxy like mm-hmm. Universal games. That one uh, doesn't surprise me quite as much. I think Race for the Galaxy is generally regarded as the favorite over roll. Um, I will say, while you're still thinking about that, my beloved Concordia got uh, smacked down by Wingspan this week. Um, All right, so which, yeah, Brady, so we're going to start in the uh, north uh, 
west uh, corner of the board. So we're going to go around this north-south and then hit the east side of the bracket, north and south. And so you're just kind of going to read through these and we'll circle off. And we're keeping score on who's uh, who's uh, obviously has the best board gaming March Madness insight here. And then we'll also react to some of these crazy uh, outlandish wins or losses by some of our favorite games. All right, so Brady, gotcha. yep. we have so, Gloomhaven and Everdell. Uh, that is... no. Is Gloomhaven and Power Grid? Sorry, Gloomhaven that, and Power Grid. That is Gloomhaven. All right. That's Wingspan what... beat Concordia. Got it. Makes Nine. sense. Ticket to Ride beat Lost Cities. What? I Are I you really? serious? I had Root there. Wow. I uh, Root is just really um, <laughs> took the and then, loss there. So uh, so Ticket to Ride won that. Okay. So that Porta, that whole part of my bracket's done. Puerto Rico beat Twilight Struggle. That I lost that one. Wow. Yeah, because uh, I had just one coming out of that uh, bracket. Terraforming Mars beat the crew, unfortunately. Okay, Scythe got it. Beat Viticulture. I feel like got that it. was like a little bit of uh, like an in-house rivalry right there. <laughs> yeah. From Stonemaier. Okay, and then Architects, Architects and Raiders, right? Uh, and Race for the Galaxy. Race. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, I, Race for the Galaxy beat Architects. Dang it! I should have realized that. Wasn't paying attention. I, uh, yeah. Spirit Island beat Lord of the Rings. That's Got it. like ninety percent of my bracket right there. The card there. game. Yep. Okay, going over to the what is it? The east side. Yeah, northeast. Um, we have Pandemic beating out Azul. I like it. Mm-hmm. Got that. Seven Wonders Duel beating out Feast for Odin. I called that one. I'm I'm done. <laughs> uh, Gaia Project beat Dominion. Whoa. Okay, that is that's a shocker. Just for the like. And that's one thing we were talking about before with this bracket is like some of these games are highly ranked, but like mm -hmm. not as many people has I played know. them. Like I Gaia Project is not like when was the last time you saw someone playing Gaia Project? Well, it's it's Gaia Project and Terra Mystica, but oh. um, anyways, I would have thought I, I lost that one. I thought Dominion yeah. was going to beat him. Great Western Trail Please. pulled it out. Over All Cracks. right, Seven Wonders. Nope, nope. Did Brass, Brass beat Seven Wonders. Wow. wow, I'm a bit surprised by that one. Yeah. Yep. Castles of Burgundy beat out Castles of Mad King Ludwig. All right, so Bray... Okay, I got that one. And then Carcassonne beat Through the Ages. Got it. And Orleans beat out War of the Ring. I'm which surprised. Which that shocks wow. me after War of the Ring beat Catan. So, li so, so listen <laughs> to this crazy stuff here. So in the southwest bracket of those top uh, 16 games, there are four that were going to be going up against each other. War of the Ring was going against Catan, and then Orleans was going against Zulk in the Mind Calendar. And so surprisingly, War of the Ring, the two-player game, beat out the vastly popular Catan, so that just destroyed my bracket. Orleans then beat out Zulkin, which that's ridiculous. And then Orleans still went on to beat War of the Ring. So I'm just like, Catan, War of the Ring, take Zulkin, Orleans. Apparently, Orleans is just a heavy hitter. I've never played it. Yeah. I mean, I know that what I, I, I'm familiar with the rave game. about it. And I've they talk the, about how the, yeah. the dice game or card game or whatever was trash. So um, I did actually the, um, have the opportunity to play Orleans uh, the other week. Oh. Not with you guys, with a different group. What? But yeah, what? Excuse me. <laughs> it was um, it was good. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm still a little surprised it beat War of the Ring because I know that is a favorite. Have you played for... that? I have not played War of the Ring. Yeah, Matt and I have been kind of. Are you big on? Are you big in the, in the Tolkien verse? Yeah, I, I really enjoy um, no. the whole Lord of the Rings. We need to get uh, a four-player game of War of the Ring, just for kicks and giggles. <laughs> That's a dudes on a map game there. Yeah. 
All right. Okay, so, that's so let's score my... up our se- ra- second round. Oh gosh. Um, that it, I feel like our scores are going to be going way down here. I'm just pulling for pandemic and terraforming Mars just to, and Gloomhaven to stay strong. So in the West, I got five points from my collective West bracket. That's down from twelve points that I had Remember, previously. Remember, each of these, each of these is two points. Oh, okay. Then I got I'm ten. Yeah, that, I'm glad you made that. Like they're each worth more because we're gonna have fewer. Oh, well, I got five on the other one as well. So uh, collectively for the second round of uh, combat here, um, I got 20 points, which is just three points less than the first round. So I feel that's not too bad. Okay. Well, I did a little worse. I only got six points for the for the west side and four points for the east side. So I got a total of 10 points. My whole, what, southeast area is like, decimated <laughs> like, i don't have zone. a single i don't have a single one still in the bracket oh my there. gosh how is our guest bracket over here doing so the guest bracket i guess i did get a little bit of an advantage since i you got, got to look at the results yeah, of the, the previous results, round before but i had us the uh, west bracket completely correct wow um, well we can't make that up <laughs> yep the east bracket though i the I had Azul and a Feast for Odin winning, and neither, neither. of those oh. did. I'm really surprised so, by Azul actually losing to Pandemic. So all together, you got 24 points from that. I, okay, so not too far. I got 20. So, Stephen, we might not have you back by the time this comes in. Who do you? Who would you say is yeah. going to win? win name, a, name a couple from, like, which one from each, like, main uh, of these uh, corner brackets would all you right. think make the final four? And then We're going to have Gloomhaven have taking one. on... Ooh. What do you think here from down here? That's who Gloomhaven oh, we're taking for the semifinals. Yeah, so right, we're going so for, for the, the top semifinals. Of each. It's Gloomhaven versus Scythe. Well, yeah. you think Scythe's going to beat out Terraforming Mars? Okay. I do. Um, I have that as well, actually. I have Terraforming Mars doing it. All right. On the east, though, we're going to have um, so Pandemic. Pan- since yeah. apparently it can just beat Azul, I'm just yeah. going to say Pandemic. That's who I um, have. And it'll be taking on. Orleans, uh, for Orleans, the yeah, yeah. Let's just go. <laughs> East side's weird, man. What up with that? Yeah. <laughs> and this is so funny because I was I was talking to some people. Well, who do you think is going to win the the final oh, the final dance? Gloomhaven there. will be the the final really? champion. Yeah. Okay. So I've, it's I've never won. Mars. And and that is so. I was talking to some like some lay people who are more used to like the traditional March, the basketball March Madness. And so I was talking to them about the way um, the board game one works, and he's like, well. If it's the top sixty-four games, you like, you know which one's going to win, and it's going to be the number one game. And and it's kind of funny because no. that's not true. Because what makes these like really hard to judge is because like some of these older games got into like the top ten, top fifteen, top five, even early on. Like Twilight Struggle used to be the number one game of all times at one point. So it has so long. The longer a game is in the top, it's harder for it to get voted downvoted so a game that may be lower on the rankings like 54 42 uh may beat it out just for the fact that it has more recency bias or more recent populist uh enthusement for it and just hasn't had a time because sometimes it takes a while for them to uh upset or unseat some of these higher rate games so you just it's really hard to tell yeah and steven i don't think you um I don't think you've seen maybe all of this, but traditionally, like Terraforming Mars has won like the past two years, so Gloomhaven has never won. Um, and Power it's time Grid, to shine. Yeah. it's too big. 
Power Grid has won like eight years. Yeah, that is the most mm-hmm. absurd thing I've ever seen. I mean, for a, a long period of time, Power Grid was up there as like one of the best games in the hobby, and there are still a Have lot of people that. It? Yeah, I've played Power Grid. Um, Quite a few times. Yeah, I played a lot in college. I think it Power just goes to show that we are now living in the golden age of board gaming where Power Grid no longer has to be the, the greatest board game ever made. Like, could you imagine? Like, honestly, I like it, like, but it is. Like, all the, obviously, we just game. throw in a lot of, like, just biased nonsense all the time. But, like, objectively, if, if Power Grid hit Kickstarter right now, do you think we would even be talking about it? <laughs> no, but I mean, no, honestly, I mean, just yeah, no, no bias, I'm, I, just I'm objective. La- I'm laughing because there It'd is be a joke. No like, what do they way. think they're doing? Yeah. Well, I think um, if Power Grid hit Kickstarter now, they'd have to have minis for all the different power plants. Well, well I'm, but I'm saying like um, significantly better. Oranges artwork. to apples, yeah. but like if you took the game as it is in its full current state, don't deluxify it, but just because like at the end of the game, uh, upgrade components shouldn't make a game better. It can make a more enjoyable experience, but it shouldn't make the mechanics mm-hmm. of the game better. I mean, better. it definitely does on Kickstarter. Like, upgrade yeah. components directly it, equate yeah. to... It, but, it, yeah. I just feel like it would be one of those games that maybe get fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 from a couple of diluted fools. Um, sorry, I mean, I even now, that, if they came out with a deluxe edition, I wouldn't see it getting more than, like, fifty. dollars Not like unless you were literally stacking a three-foot tower of your buildings or whatnot and you have a little lights and power surges you're shooting across because you remember the um from uh not fun again games but it's the ones who did all the different uh forbidden desert forbidden island they then they did forbidden sky mm-hmm. and the whole gimmick was you're trying to connect these circuits across the board and so you literally have these like magnetic metal devices that you're connecting and you have different lights blink on if you had an actual current going through your connected pieces while you're trying to go around the board wait that was a that's a thing. That's a real thing. Forbidden Sky. Yeah, you're trying to power up a rocket ship. You literally have a probably a five inch, ro- four to five inch rocket ship that you are trying to connect electric current from one end of the board. My memory serves me right to the other end of the board where the rocket ship is by connecting these different metal length um, brackets that are different lengths. And so it's all about puzzling your way across the board to actually connect a battery charge to light and turn on your ship your ship will literally start blinking sound effects will come out of it when you correctly linked up a charge but all the while it's like the forbidden desert you're moving around the tiles are moving you're having wind come against you and messing you up it's cooperative with different little player powers forbidden sky i have never played it but i and i had heard of it i didn't realize there was like but like that game would never work unless you had all that little extra flair and stuff and it's still by far, I have played that game. Forbidden uh, Sky? Yes. And I, I haven't played it. I've wanted to just for like at least once for the kicks and giggles of it. But It was okay. I would rate um, Forbidden Desert as oh, a bit better game yeah. than Forbidden Sky. But when you finish your circuit, uh, the rocket ship, it lights up and it plays a blast off sound. And yeah. that's just, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so fun. And that gives you like an extra million dollars on Kickstarter right yep, there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, right, that's well. what that one. Uh, what was that? Return to Dark Tower. Do you remember seeing that one? The oh, yeah, the, the re uh, the re- second other edition. And it's literally like mil- three like, foot tower in the middle. Yeah, of Yeah, and that's like they made what two three million dollars in Kickstarter, all because they had just this gigantic like little death uh, tower that's going to be in the middle of this cooperative board game, and it's going to be shooting out skulls and dice and sounds and lights and like. Honestly, I be wouldn't be surprised that game was a year or two delayed just for the development of that tower. But um, so hopefully you made it through all of our machinations and 
silly debates back and forth. Maybe you've never even played Game of Thrones in TI4, but uh, maybe some of the way they were, these guys, these guys both love these games. And at the end of the day, um, we enjoy playing them. Uh, obviously some yeah. of us just love it more than others, which Let is us, fine. Like that's, that's perfectly normal, but maybe you hearing us talk about it makes you want to go out and find some people yeah, to play with. Let us know which one you prefer. We'll put a, we'll put a post up of the, um, for the episode and everything, comment on there, which one you prefer yeah. over there. We'll see what the people, and I think I, the people, I think I may be the voice of the people in this one. All right, gentlemen, anything else? I think that'll do it. All right, well, that's going to be it for this week's episode. As always, I'm Matthew. I'm Brady. And I'm Stephen. And this has been The The Discussion Discussion Phase. Phase. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the discussion phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every Tuesday for new episodes dropping. Uh, if you'd like to follow us closer for new reviews, unboxings, uh, first impressions of games, you can follow us on Instagram at the discussion phase, or you can join in the discussion yourself and send us a message at the discussion phase at gmail.com. Thanks everybody. 